0: Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapulting Commissions family, what's up, team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. We have brought the leading authority on building high-performing sales team on today's episode. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my buddy, Nigel Green. Nigel is a consultant, author, and advisor who is widely regarded as the leading authority on building high-performing sales teams. With over 10 years of executive experience ranging from Fortune 500 companies to early stage growth companies, he is a sought-after by executives to improve selling efforts. He's worked with dozens of B2B sales teams across the globe, including Universal Health Services, Ascension Healthcare, and Reload to more than double their results. He challenges the status quo in talent optimization. His insights have been featured in top business publications, including Inc., Magazine, Business Insider, and many others. He is the author of Revenue Harvest, a sales leader's almanac for planning the perfect year. As a consultant and advisor, he helps sales teams with large sales goals, large sales goals, overcoming underperformance to create consistent sales growth by utilizing his effective seven sales leadership principles. Nigel, Welcome to the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Thanks for waking me up. I kind of fell asleep during that long bio. Good, man. Well, I got you fired up. You know, I tell I tell the guests that joined the show: hey, if you're ever feeling down on yourself, just listen to that bio. Listen to my voice. Just play some background music. And you'll be like, man, I'm a bona fide badass. (laughs) Good to be with you. Good to be with you, buddy. So let's talk about this. A sales leader's almanac. I gotta be honest with you, Nigel. Right now, sales leadership is in a dire uh, pain right now. They're in a position where they're trying to gain the most out of revenue. They're trying to gain the most out of their people. They're trying to gain the most revenue, pardon me. They want to grow their business. However, their team, the individual contributors in the world of sales are are in a competition. We're competing for their attention as a sales leader. I want them to perform in my organization. I want them to grow in my organization. However, social media is telling them it's a COVID or post COVID pandemic, revenue is different. Uh, the media is telling them that, hey, we're in a major recession. People aren't buying. Then there is... You know, and I say this and I'm on the West Coast, there's a startup every other day in the Silicon Valley or the Silicon Bay, depending on if you're northern or southern California, that's calling some of these talented people and saying, come join me for this shiny object. Come work in my sales team. What is the important thing that a sales leader needs to do at this point in time to get the most out of their people? Oh, that's a great question.
1: And in fact, I, I recently wrote an article about this in an entrepreneur, the, what you need to do if you're a sales leader, and this is going to sound contrarian and it might even scare you a little bit, but I promise you it'll pay off, force everyone on your sales team to go interview somewhere else in the next three months. So well, I do this every year. And the reason why is uh, it's real easy to think the grass is greener. And in, in a lot of instances, it actually is. Uh, so go go interview somewhere else. And if you leave because you found another opportunity that better aligns with what you want to accomplish in your career goals, then great. I did my job as a sales leader is I made the most of this opportunity for you and used it as a stepping stone to what you wanted in your next career move. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I'll be here and we can talk about you know, what, what the consequences are if it doesn't work out. For everyone else that wants to stay, they probably have a renewed sense of purpose, a reminder of the company's vision, why they decided to work with you, because a big piece of an interview process for a seller is, do I want to work with this manager? Do I believe in the, the company? Do I believe in uh, its ability to accomplish the mission that they've set out to achieve over the next three to five years? And so for those that come back, it puts all of that uncertainty or all those what-ifs at bay, and we can get back to work, which is growing revenue.
0: I, I got to be honest with you. I've, I've been in sales or sales leaders for almost 20 years. We've interviewed thousands of sales reps coming up on 100 episodes in the Catafulting Commission's podcast. I've never heard anybody openly say, go interview for another sales job. However, I like the back end. I like, I like the reasoning. It's not something that I got to be honest, I've never thought of that, but it's definitely something where it makes you think it's almost like if you're going to leave me, then go leave me. Because I only want somebody here who's, who's engaged, who's going to grow, who's committed to that cause. Now, how, how does that conversation take place? Because I, I go back and I put my, my individual contributor hat. I couldn't imagine a sales leader telling me, hey, go interview somewhere else. I mean, is this a conversation you tell for everybody or is this a conversation you say, hey, you know, I can tell you haven't been engaged or you haven't been performing your best. I mean, who does that conversation you know, direct to at?
1: So when I was leading a team, it was a requirement uh, in, during your annual review with me or with your frontline sales manager you had to state to them where you interviewed elsewhere throughout the course of the year. I've learned, okay, let me, let me set this up. Before I go into why this works, let, let me at least just set up why a lot of sales leaders are scared and won't do this. They won't do this because they haven't done their job as a sales leader of having a bench of talent that you've recruited and vetted that you're ready to put into a role when a position becomes available. How many times have we heard of our top performer leaving for any reason whatsoever at a highly inconvenient time and we didn't have someone in mind to put back in to the role? So if, if you don't have that already, this is a very scary notion for you, but for the leaders that have done the work of recruiting which is, is, a, is a requirement for every sales leader to know who your next three hires are going to be, this is not as daunting of a task. And what it does is it gives you the confidence you need coming out of a black swan event, going back into whatever this next normal is, that you've got a team that's fully committed to you and to the cause. Now, this is a bold leadership tactic, and it's predicated on your team knowing that you are for them, that you love them, that you care about them, and first and foremost, that you wanna see them excel in their career. If you are just checking the boxes as a sales manager, don't do this because you're gonna have a mutiny. You're gonna have a great resignation. But if you really care about your people and they know that you know them on a personal level and you know what they're looking to accomplish personally and professionally, if you know what's going on in their life, this isn't a risky deal to sit down and say, hey, Anthony, what do you really want to do? Is this the right place for you coming out of the pandemic? You know, maybe you've been working from home. We're, we're asking everybody to come back to work. Is it, is it going to work for you? Um, let's have a real honest conversation And for the leaders that have done the work of really making investments into their people. This isn't that scary of a tactic.
0: You know, there, I, I can see the value in there. I mean, it's funny, right? Sales leaders, and I remember when I started interviewing for sales leadership roles in corporate America, and the, the question was, what's the most important job of a sales leader? And the, the common answer or the, or the, the misconception is, is to generate revenue. The truth is, is to recruit and retain talent. And when we're recruiting and retaining talent, sometimes we don't always think about what's that bench role look like, who's next? what's in it for, you know, what happens when the top dog leaves and goes somewhere else, who do I have in line? And I I gotta be honest with you, as a sales leader, I've made that mistake. I've been blindsided when someone who leaves me and I'm like, Holy crap. And now, you know, I look at my world of sales leadership and I say, okay, yes, you're my top dog and you're driving revenue, but don't think for a second that I'm not building somebody behind you to take you in the event you're, you're leaving. I always look at it in the aspect of, uh, My job as a sales leader is to grow, retain talent, to drive revenue. And I do that under the principle of assuming that if I take my team, one third is happy where they're at. One third can be easily influenced by a recruiter on LinkedIn. And one third is actively looking for a role. And it has nothing to do with performance. I just make that as a blanket statement. And and I treat everybody trying to find how can I retain them. So yeah, I think if you haven't spent the time with somebody, that's a scary conversation it is and and i think if if you
1: if you're wondering about you know what started this was how do we get teams back to ignoring the noise that's out in the marketplace uh, because it, it, there for the same number of posts there are on linkedin about how no one's buying yada, yada, yada. You you can go read about booms, like you said earlier, new startups every day. Uh, There's all this CARES Act and PPP money that's being put to use. And so the news is what you want. But what the job of the sales leader is to do is to remind them of why they're at this company. Okay, so what's the mission of this organization that was so compelling, so noble to you that you decided to come here and then have I done a good enough job as the leader of anchoring the company's mission, the culture of this team to what this rep is trying to achieve personally. And am I doing my job, my commitments, am I honoring what I've said that I would achieve for them to make this career fulfilling? And if I'm not, then it's real easy to figure out who's in what third.
0: Yeah, I guess it is. And and a lot of that almost comes in the self-reflection where I think sales leaders, sometimes if we self-reflect, it, you know, it's scary because it shows vulnerability as a leader. We're not always perfect. So sometimes we have to admit, Hey, I didn't spend enough time with this person to get the most out of them or drive that revenue component.
1: Or, and part of the reason, and I talk about this in, in the book, hiring on three C's the first is competence. And that's where most sales leaders stop. They hire on competence and then that's, that's it. Um, I think that's the least important. Uh, the most important for me is character. So I hire first and foremost on character. And then the second piece, Anthony, is chemistry. And that's where sometimes it's a trap for leaders is they hire someone with character and it's certainly competent, but they don't have good chemistry with them, seeing that they just don't enjoy being around them. They don't have a lot of things in common. And that's the trap for leaders to not make the investment, spend enough quality time with their people to pull them along and make sure that they're holding in uh, their, their end of the bargain of, getting them, the getting the reps, what they want out of their job. And, and that's all because you don't want to spend time with them. There's not the character and there's not the chemistry there that, um, that is aligned.
0: You know, it's funny. I've, I, I've been a long proponent when I look at somebody sometimes and it's, it's taken me a while as a sales leader. Like I said, I've been, been managing and hiring sales professionals for almost 20 years. Uh, I've gotten to the point in my career where sometimes I just have to ask myself, do I like you? Will I want to spend time with you? If I'm, if you and I have a six-hour cross-country flight and you're the person sitting next to me and it's the middle of the day and neither one of us is going to take a nap, will I be able to, to enjoy a conversation with you? Or, you know, in you, traditional outside B2B roles, if I'm going to do a field ride with you for three days and we're going to go visit your customers, you're in territory for three days, and there's a lot of windshield time. Are we going to have stuff to discuss? Is this going to be enjoyable to my time? So it's, it's uh, I'm glad you said that because, you know, you're right. In my earlier career, it was all competence-based. Can you do the job? Can you be effective? You know, can you show me your stats, your brag book, your numbers? Um, you know, and, and I, I think characters is important, but, you know, we often overlook that chemistry. Like, oh, I, I can learn to like this person or, or I, can, I, can, I can find a mutual chemistry to grow upon. And we, we paint people in a bubble to fit what we need. Um, and, and I love how you mentioned the, you know, the hard reality is it's chemistry first or character first, chemistry second.
1: Or we're just naive to the reality that if we don't if we don't enjoy spending time with them we're not going to do it. So for a lot of sales leaders, they're listening to this, Anthony, and and there are names and there are faces that are popping in their head when you talked about the six hour cross country flight or three days on a field ride. And if you're listening and you can go ahead and name these people, you have a responsibility to either get real and say, I'm gonna spend more time with them and I'm gonna find common ground, or to let them go, be successful somewhere else, because you're not doing them any favors, and ultimately, you're selling your team and your company short because you're not managing the team well because you don't enjoy spending time with a few select people, and
0: that's on you. I love it, man. I mean, it's it's definitely on the sales leader that has that responsibility to get back and get engaged. I also love, as you're saying, you know, as you're saying this, I can't help but say it. If you're in a position of leadership. And you're not prepared to do the work to be engaged with your people, then I don't know if a position of leadership is right for you. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I I think that, um, yes, 100 percent. But I think sometimes it's just that. It's not management, it's leadership management Mm. now is done by. Some dashboard in the CRM. The world (laughs) doesn't need to pay you two hundred plus thousand dollars a year to go hit refresh. Like we've got the we've got the CRM in place to manage. What you have to do is, like you said, recruit and retain, and then develop. And also, and this is what I get a lot too, Anthony. They say, "Well, how come I never?" know what's going on in the business. You know, we we make, we roll out a new product, we have a new joint venture, and I'm the VP of sales, and -hmm. I'm the last to know. I get the same email that everyone else gets. That's because your CEO and the rest of the C-suite doesn't think that you are making a valuable enough contribution to be in the C-suite. And so part of your job as the sales leader is to help bridge the strategic narrative, Okay. So if you if you're like, what is that? Well, the sales narrative and the strategic narrative for a lot of companies are, are very different. The strategic narrative is where the CEO sees the business going, but the sales narrative was drafted by you. And it's so short-sighted. It's just about the next 90 days, 120 days. It's not about three to five years down the road. So you got to be able to zoom out, create some space in your schedule to go sit down with your C-suite and figure out how you can help them think about how to add more value to your customer, how to think about how the business needs to pivot over the next 12 to 18 months to give a competitive advantage. That's the stuff that a sales leader has to do. The sales leader has to be a part of the C-suite tackling big strategic problems, not just trying to figure out how we're going to hit this month's targets.
0: Yeah, holy crap, man. Can you rewind that again, catapult the commission's family? Listen to that again. That is such a insight right there that sales leadership, your value isn't your title. It's not VP of sales. It's not regional director. It's not whatever the titles that exist now in corporate America. It's the value you bring and the ability for the C-suite to see that my sales leadership belongs in this conversation, belongs in the decision-making process. And I think you, you only get there one when you produce, but you not only just produce the numbers, you produce the environment, you produce the culture, you produce the the team that's following you. So I, I love how you, how you approach that. And, and, you know, there's titles, there's leadership. And as you said, you know, you're not getting paid 200 grand a year to press refresh. I couldn't help but laugh because I know let's just say hundreds of Sales leaders or sales executives that are in the world of CRM management that get in trouble often at times because their CRM management isn't up to date, but their engagement with their team is up to date. And I know sales leaders who have CRM management, you can call them in the middle of the day and they know exactly what their forecast is looking like, but their sales team is ready to turn over any given moment. So it's, a, I think it's one of those struggles that I know I've struggled with as a sales leader is how do I, how do I manage the administrative duties of sales leadership, but also the true leadership role of, yeah, I'm just going to spend time with you. We're going to drive the business. We're going to grow the business. So that's, that's a modern day challenges. I think sales leaders are struggling with right now.
1: It's easy. You, you spend 75 to 80 grand, go hire a sales analyst or a Salesforce administrator. And you demonstrate, I mean, you demonstrate to, the, to the C-suite and the rest of your team how this is uh, a very useful investment that's going to show ROI not only for you, but for the rest of your teams that are bogged down in all the administrative work. And we can get back to the things that matter, which is growing the business and creating a competitive advantage in the marketplace.
0: I love it, man. I love it. There's definitely a need for that administrative role. And if you are in that administrative role and you're you're your C-suite executive or you happen to stumble across this this episode, there's ways for you to add value too. because as a sales leader, if I had an administrative role that came and said, hey, I'm going to save you three hours a week by simply making sure the CRM is up to date. I'm going to give you a concise recap. You, you would be worth more than 80 grand to me.
1: <laughs> well, it, exactly. And it, it's more, the, the work is a little bit more sophisticated than administrative. It's analytics. It's doing the work of not just what does the data say, but what does it mean? And that's part of the reason why uh, a lot of sales leaders don't get an invitation to the C-suite because they spend so much time just getting the report to look pretty that they didn't understand the real job was to, First and foremost, get the report in a place where you could do the real work, which is tell me what it means. So they walk into these meetings and they have a, a report, but they haven't done the work of helping the business make more informed decisions based off the data. They just regurgitate what the report said instead of giving some type of characterization of what we need to do differently to affect the data that's in the next period's report.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. So I apologize on, on the 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 administrator, but it is analytics, which is that is I mean, that's that's everything we're doing. Right. If you if you take a look in the world of sales leadership, that forecasting, that analytic, it just it trickles down. It goes to supply chain. It goes to marketing. It goes to budgeting. It goes to recruiting. I mean, it's it is a nonstop. Uh, I mean, you're, you're essentially starting the bus because every company, regardless of what you do, needs revenue coming in the door to keep the doors open. And you, sales leaders, you are the front line. Whether you're you're uh, you know, if you're an individual contributor, you're definitely the front line. But if you are a sales leadership and sales management or C-suite in that sales division, you are responsible for that front line of driving that revenue. And and R and D marketing only exists because the revenue comes in to pay for those programs.
1: Yeah, it, you know, I hear a lot of sales leaders that, um, and, and look, not to diminish the the work that goes into hitting your targets. Uh, But I have to remind them, well, that is expected. It would be like if the CFOs went and bragged about for the last nine quarters, our books have been balanced. Well, we (laughs) expected the books to be balanced. You know, for the last nine quarters, we expected you to hit the target, largely because you set the target. If you set it, you ought to hit it. So it's more than just hitting targets. It's how you do it. It's, um, helping it's hitting the targets and along the way, building a team that can run without you every day so that you can help the CEO, the CMO, and the COO gain a competitive advantage or think about what the next black swan or new product development needs to be. You got to be able to get out of the day to day so that you can tackle big, next year, three-year, big initiatives that are going to help this business create a real valuation change.
0: Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode. I hope you're enjoying what you have heard thus far. Have you heard the good news? The international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions, has been named a 2021 Selling Power Magazine book recommendation. And I want to thank you, the Catapulting Commissions family. You can claim a free copy by texting hello to 661-228-8967. You can also find out more information at catapultingcommissions.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Love that. So let's let's talk about that. That Part of that, that expectations that you just mentioned right now, there are sales leaders right now that acknowledge and praise sales individuals for simply hitting quota. Is there some value in giving that recognition or should that be the minimum expectation?
1: Absolutely, there's value in recognition and hitting quota and you have to do it. You have to reward what you want repeated. If, If you don't value it, if you don't praise it, you're telling the team it's not important. So you absolutely have to celebrate when quota is attained. Now, I'll tell you this. It's not the only thing that matters because I have folks that I coach in my program that have stellar performance reps. They hit their number every month, every quarter, but they have really bad behavior. Their CRM is a mess. They create nightmares for the inside sales team or the fulfillment team. They come in and drop off a big order and it breaks all the expectations that we need in the rest of the business for it to run smoothly. And it creates long nights, long weekends for production or another department. Uh, that's So it's not enough to just hit the number because all of these reps are on performance improvement plans. And they're sitting here and they're miffed that they're gonna be on a PIP And they're 150% to plan. And I coach the leader to tell them it's not enough to hit a number. It's how you hit the number.
0: That's important as well. How you hit the number. And I got to repeat that. I love the line uh, reward, what you want, repeat it. I mean, sales leadership, that's, that's 100% right. We get the results we manage. And I love that, but how you get the number. I mean, I, I know that that creates some challenging conversations because there are sales individual contributors that have been in their role 15, 20 years that are like, look, I hit my number, leave me alone. I don't wanna, you know, I don't care about what you know your Salesforce says or I don't care about what XYZ CRM says, just know that I'm gonna hit my number. And sometimes I, I tend to believe those people can be more of a cancerous to the environment and the culture you're building. But we sometimes accept that because we're in desperation for that revenue, yeah, we accept it because we don't have bench strength, and so we're
1: handcuffed by a couple of top performers that carry the team, and we have to tolerate and oftentimes um, make you know make excuses for or go back and fix their bad behavior, and it's just mm. your reputation that's that's being at stake here because you you kept them. You may say, well, I didn't hire them, and they're you know they're they're here. They've been here longer than me. They've been here fifteen years. You know, you kept them, so it's on you. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, it all goes back to having the right bench strength to first and foremost shift that power dynamic, but you've got to write the comp plan in a way that it doesn't just reward the revenue attainment. You know, see, comp plans drive everything in a sales organization. And if all the comp is just around attainment and, and percent to target it has nothing to do with, the how, and the qualitative metrics of the roles and responsibilities, well, then you created this monster. So you just got to move the cheese. You got to go back and write the comp plan and say, yes, revenue attainment is important. However, if you don't do it this way or do these things that are also important to other departments, then I reserve the right to not pay you commission, discount commission, or otherwise punish you. Hmm.
0: You know, we are, we, we, we are responsible for the culture we create because you, as you're saying on the comp plan, I think about it and I'm like, yeah, I've seen comp plans that only drive revenue where a top performer who is otherwise a horrible person outside doesn't have, doesn't want to be in a position of leadership, doesn't want to, you know, be the positive person to the new reps who are struggling. Just as it's all about me, 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 me completely kill a culture yet get rewarded because they're performing so uh it's definitely something that i think sales leaderships and c-suites need to evaluate what is that culture i'm creating and what is the message i'm sending it's like if i was managing my kids right if i only if i only praised my kids when they did this when they hey you're only going to get praised when you come home with good grades you can leave your room a mess you can be disrespectful to mom you can you can yell and talk back to me, but I'm going to praise you for when you do this. and I'm not going to address this part of the part of your your adolescence.
1: Yeah. And so it, I, I'm a sports guy. I played football in, in college and I love, I love the game of football. So I'm going to give a football analogy, Tom Brady. I mean, he is, he would be the equivalent of the number one rep on anybody's team. And, it, you know, so he, he's the best in the sales world. He'd be the best sales rep that was on the team. Imagine when, if Tom Brady didn't keep the CRM up to date. Imagine <laughs> if Tom Brady said, I'm just going to skip you know, today's cold call training because I've got a meeting with a customer and I don't need it. I'm just not going to go. You, you couldn't even fathom a world where Tom Brady's... It's not that Tom Brady wouldn't be allowed. It said Tom Brady wouldn't allow Tom Brady to be that way because t- Tom Brady knows that he has to submit to the process that he, the team, he may be the best person on the team, but he's not bigger than the team and he's not bigger than the coach. So there are a lot of top performers that they're listening to this that could have gotten a little bit upset about what I just said, but this is a, this is really about ego. It's like what you're saying is that you are bigger than the team. You are bigger than the rest of the company, that you're more important than the other departments that still take care of your customers. That's what you're saying to the rest of the business. Is that
0: really what you want to say? Mm. You know, and I would imagine most people in that position, don't want to deliver that message. There's a few high flyers that are in it. What's in it for me, screw you. But there are are people who are influenced by that, that if you were to say, hey, here's the message that you are subconsciously sending to the rest of the organization, they would retrace their steps and say, ouch, I didn't realize that that's the message I'm giving. So I think it's more of an, yeah, I think it's just more of an education component of, hey, what is the message? And and it's funny, right? I, I have had conversations with people who, work with me. And I say, look, you know, we, we work for an organization. We sell a product. We deliver this. Your personal brand is what is said about you when you're not in the room. And what does that conversation look like?
1: I remember there was a, uh, there was a rep that he would tell you, oh, I love the company. And he, and he did, he did. And I had to remind him, I said, what you do is so loud. I can't hear what you say. He said, what do you mean? Well, you tell me, that you love the company and you love this department. Let me tell you what you did. You sent an email to the head of fulfillment and said, this has to get out today. I don't care. I don't care about the other orders. This is going out today. What you do is so loud. I can't hear what you
0: say. I'm pausing on that. Cause that is that I was literally writing that quote down. I, I love that. We, we are we are one hundred percent. Our actions speak for us. And salespeople, look, we you're a sales guy, and I just I'm a sales guy. We can sell anything, right? After a while, hell, we could sell ourselves. We can make each other sound good. I mean, you we we are in this. You know, it's a skill you've developed over time. And to hear that you're reminding you as a sales leader to remind people, hey man, your actions are what actually sell you. Speak way louder, way more about you uh, than than what you're saying. And, and you know, it's. Sometimes that transition to sales leadership, go. I, I say this often on the show, it's, it's about being off self and on purpose. And, and that example you just used, that's a perfect example of being on self, maybe on purpose, right? But it's definitely on self. And you can't have that on self mentality as you transition to sales leadership. Agreed. So, all right, Nigel. Let's talk about it. So, the book "Revenue Harvest: The Sales Leader's Almanac for Planning the Perfect Year." I know we've talked some just just in conversation and 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 knowing what I know about the book, we've talked some of the some of the principles. But help me give me a premise. What was the premise of the book? Who is the book for, and what can someone gain by reading the book?
1: Well, the, the book was written for anyone that manages a team that can't afford to not hit their number. And I decided to take uh, an agricultural angle with the book. And, and what drove me to do that, Anthony, is I, I've over the past decade, I've heard so many folks say, oh, well, I'm a sales leader or I'm a VP of sales. Well, the average tenure in that post, depending on the source, is somewhere as short as 18 months, no longer than three years. Okay. So sales leaders are being cycled through different jobs and they're bouncing around from company to company. A lot of the reasons why they're not staying is because they don't hit their targets. In any given year, one out of two sales teams won't hit their target. I said, well, what? where can we go learn about individuals that are delivering year in and year out? And I said, well, I live in a farming community. So I looked around and all these farmers, there aren't people driving around big trucks or driving around combines calling themselves farmers that aren't producing corn, soy or wheat where I live. If there's no harvest, if there's nothing to put in the grain legs, they're not a farmer. And so I said, what is it about them? Because they, they, just like the sales leader, they face all these things they can't control. They don't even get to control the price of the goods that they produce. It's always too hot or too cold, too much rain, not enough rain. There are all these things that stand in the way of a farmer from being successful, yet somehow they figure out every year how to produce a harvest. And so I learned that regardless whether they have one growing season, multiple growing season, successful farmers, and by the way, the average age of a farmer is 66. So they've been in the role a long time. They don't come in and out of the profession. They get in and they're lifers, which means they use these timeless principles year in and year out to always produce a harvest. And there are seven of them, by the way. Planning, positioning, preparing, planting, tending, harvesting, and restoration. And so they use all these seven principles, sometimes uh, multiple principles simultaneously throughout the year, but they do these seven things year in and year out, and they hit the number. And I, what I did is I took those principles and I overlaid them on the sales leader's year. So it doesn't matter if you've got to have a harvest every 30 days, every quarter, maybe you've got a long selling cycle and you just have renewals once a year, you've got busy seasons, slow seasons. These principles are timeless. And there's nothing about technology in the book other than it'll come and go. And if you do these seven principles, you'll have a better shot of hitting your number every year.
0: You know, I and kudos to farmers. I didn't realize the average age of a farmer was sixty-six years old. I mean, that is definitely a lifer. If you think about sales, sales professionals and sales leaders, right? Where I would love to find some the average professional, the average commitment to be a lifer for for a sales growth or sales organization. You know, the hard reality that's not the truth. But I love how you've taken the principles and remember, Peter. There are seven principles: it's planning, positioning, preparing, planting, tending, harvest and restoration or harvesting and restoration. So let's, let's, let's talk. What are the two, if you had to pick, you know, we're coming here, we got about five, five, seven minutes left here. If you had to pick two of those principles that you said, Hey, these are something that, you know, someone came to you and said, Nigel, I got 10 minutes to spend with you. What are the two principles you think that someone needs to hear first?
1: Well, I'll say it, that answer is typically guided by what I'm feeling in in the world right now. And we started this conversation talking about a lot of shifts. So Mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about two principles that I think relate to that, position and then restore. Okay, so position, it's not enough to have a good plan. Okay, so every leader goes into a year with a really good plan, it's thoughtful, Uh, they've done the work of making it look beautiful on the Excel spreadsheet, the C-suites endorsed it, they've got the plan for the year but then the team doesn't march. They're not bought in. It's not positioned well. Or you, you hear all this noise in the marketplace. Maybe I should interview somewhere else or customers aren't buying. All of that work is positioning work. We haven't done a good enough job as the leader of anchoring the mission of the business to the purpose of the reps and allowing the plan that we built to be anchored into outcomes that are also important to the people on our team if they're not bought into the plan if they don't see what's in it for them if it's poorly positioned they won't march so that's the first thing is positioning it and i think that every sales leader right now when we're coming into this reopening of the country and customer sentiments changing do we do we want reps back do we not want reps back it's a great opportunity to think about how well is the second half of 2021 positioned for your team and then The second one, Anthony is restore. Okay. And rest is four of the seven letters in restore, but rest and restore are two different things. Rest is to not use restore is to bring back to its original state. Okay. So Mm -hmm. rest is like, go on a vacation and give everybody a break. Restore is let's stop and let's train and let's work on something that's going to make us better for this next season, this next harvest, this next planting season. And it's still work. It's just not work that looks like the normal things that, and activities that we have been doing. And for a lot of leaders, I challenge you that you probably need a little restoration. You're coming out of what's been a long 12 to 18 months, and I wonder, where's your heart? Where do you need to get better? How could you work on empathy or coaching or planning or financial acumen? You've got all these areas that you probably have ignored because it's, I mean, admittedly, it's been stressful. It's been in a world of Zoom meetings and Slack. And it's probably time for us to do a little inventory and see where has my leadership been damaged and how do I restore it
0: back to its original state that it was a year ago, two years ago? Oh, I love I love that. I love the restoration. I love the rest versus restoration, because we as sales leaders, I'm hearing you say that and I just feel guilty on my own. I'm like, man, we I've beaten my people up. I know it's been like, hey, we have to drive the number. We have to hit the revenue. You know, put your head down, guys, work hard. But the truth is, is if if you look at restoration, I mean, it's as simple as, you know, we use the farming analogy. You, you you have the same soil. You have to bring that soil back to life to prepare for your next harvest. And if my sales reps are my soil, I need to ensure they're prepared for this next harvest go around. And sometimes it's okay to say, hey, we're going to bring you back to, to whole. We're going to prepare you. We're not just going to keep d- damaging you and keep just hitting numbers at you in Zoom meetings and Zoom meetings and teams meetings and just whatever, whatever other virtual way I can get you on. So I love hearing that. Those are some great principles. Nice. Well,
1: here's a practical uh, application of, of how to use it. Now there are some States that are a little bit more open. Okay. So like, if you're listening to this at the end of June of 2021, there people are being vaccinated the extent to which your team is comfortable how about you send a rep that's in a state that maybe isn't fully open or their customers aren't quite ready to have them come back and you send them to go train with another rep where they're actually out in the field and and business as usual a state like florida where covid's basically gone in florida so you can send send a california rep to florida for a week have them train with them or send someone from new york down to one of these more open states those are great ways to, to restore or cross train. Those are all great practices uh, to, to help give
0: your team a renewed sense of energy about them. I love that sales leadership catapulted commissions family. That is definitely something you should implement immediately. We just had a wonderful conversation with Nigel green on the the commissions podcast, Nigel. Do me a favor, man. How can somebody learn more about you? How can they learn more about your book, Revenue Harvest? How can they get to know more about Nigel Green and all the wonderful things we talked about today?
1: Well, I post every day on LinkedIn. So if we're not connected on LinkedIn, I would encourage you to do that. I drop little nuggets there Um, every day. Like I said, uh, I write for entrepreneurs. So I have a column in the magazine. You can get the book anywhere. You want to get books. I'll tell you this. If you go buy it from therevenueharvest.com, you'll pay a lot less than what you will on Amazon. I'll sign it and get it out to you. So,
0: yeah, go get the book. Check it out. Awesome. Catapulted commissions family. We will have a link to therevenueharvest.com, Nigel Green's website his uh, articles and entrepreneur, we will definitely ensure that you are connected with Nigel. Nigel, thank you for joining the catapultic commissions podcast, man. I wish you nothing but abundant success in the coming year. And if we could ever be of service, man, please reach back out to us. You got it, man. Thanks for having me catapultic commissions family. You know what to do like subscribe, comment, and I'll see you next week. Catapulting Commissions family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe, that way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commissions podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commissions, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-228 8967 again text the word hello to 6612288967 thanks for listening to the show i'll see you next week